Hey, welcome to Cape Christian Church Online. We are so glad that you are with us. Whether you're here in Southwest Florida with us or somewhere else around the globe, you are a part of our online campus. And we are so delighted to have you with us this week. If you haven't joined the chat already, I would encourage you to give us a shout out of where you're watching from. Let us know you're here because this service is just for you. We have a team of hosts, a prayer team that wants to engage with you just like it, we would if you were here in person. Well, we're in week two of a new series called The Good Life. And, and maybe you're with us every week and you were here last week. If perhaps you're just joining us or somebody said, check this out, you can go watch our previous sermons online, on our app, on our website. But we started a series called The Good Life and we're looking for the good life. We're asking the question is, what is the good life? How do I find it? How do I live it? Is there a not good life? Is, is my version of a good life different than what God's good life is? And so we're looking at one chapter, Galatians chapter five, uh, in the Bible. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can open that up. But we started the series by asking this question. What do you want? Like, what do you really want? Yeah, that's it. The Spice Girls were in on it way ahead of, they were way ahead of the game. What do you want? That is our question. And we talked last week that when you ask that question, it seems easy, but I think it's tricky because when you say, what do you want? Things come to mind right away. I want my way. I want what I want to do. I want what I want now. But what we learn early on in life is that if we always get our way, we can actually lose our way. And so we don't always want what we want now. And often if we get what we want right here, right now, we may not get what we really want later. And the reality of the world we live in is that few messages, at least in our culture, focus you in on what you really value versus more what you immediately want. But we said this last week, we said, lurking in the shadows of what we want is what we actually value. But we will never get what we really want until we discover what we really value. And so that's kind of what last week was. You can go back and watch that. And I want to take that a little bit further this week to help us understand what's most important. What do I really value? And to understand what we really value, we actually have to ask ourselves, why do I want what I want? Let me give you a couple of examples, like relationally. Many of you, you might, you might say at one point you said, I want to get married. Okay, well, that's great, but why? Why do you want to get married? Is it for companionship? Is it to have kids? Is it somebody to love? Or is it more selfishly motivated? Like, I want to get married because I feel incomplete and I want somebody to love me and I want somebody else to carry my burdens. I want to date. Why? Because I want to prepare for a godly marriage or because, again, I'm looking for somebody to fill something in my life I haven't been able to fill myself. I want to be rich. That's awesome. Why? Do you want to be rich so that you can live comfortably or you can have lots of stuff, which, again, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with? Or do you want to be rich so that you can help missionaries preach the gospel or you can help dig wells in, in India or support orphanages. Why? And the more you dig with why, why do I want to be rich? Well, I want to have this. Why? Why do I want to be married so I can have this? Why? What's underneath that? The more you make yourself do the work and ask why, the more you will start to figure out what kind of person you want to be. I gave you an exercise last week that really helps you do this. Because underneath those why questions, you start to figure out what your character is. Who do I really want to be? And then you really start to get to, you can start answering questions about legacy. Like what's the type of impact or mark I want to leave on this world? Some of you, you might be in high school or college. When you leave high school or college, people are either going to say good things about you. They're going to say bad things about you. 
or they're going to say nothing about you. The same is true for your job. When you leave your job, they're either going to say something good, something bad, or nothing. That is your legacy. What do you want to have said about you? Think about your kids. For those of you who are raising kids, what do you want your adult children to say about the home that they grew up in? See, these are legacy questions. These are value questions. And what I love about the Bible and what I love about Jesus is even then in a culture that more focused on the here and now, Jesus regularly and consistently pointed towards value instead of just immediate want. He would point past uh, the initial and the, the right here and now, and he would point towards the ultimate, towards the eternal, towards the most valuable things. Because Jesus knew, as did Paul, who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, that choosing what's valuable is actually unnatural. We, in, our, in, our, in the essence of our human nature, we don't typically choose the long-term legacy, character, value, choice. We are more prone to do the here and now. And here's why. And that's what this, this whole weekend, this whole message is about, is because there is an internal conflict that goes on inside of each and every one of us. We cannot break past the natural, most of us. We cannot get past the natural and get to the valuable. We are so consumed with it. But here's what I've discovered in my life and in many others who have taken Jesus at his word, that when we are able to get past the immediate or the natural or the human nature and get towards the valuable and the ultimate, it literally changes everything. And I will tell you that as a pastor, that is what I want for you. That is, I know what God wants for you. And so Paul describes this in, in his letter. He describes it best. Uh, background on Paul, if you don't know, he used to be a religious leader in the Jewish culture. He was a Pharisee. He was super against the church and the Jesus movement, persecuted and, and killed Christians, had a radical encounter with Jesus, transformed and became a Jesus follower, and then wrote letters to Christians and churches about what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And he totally lays this out as he's writing to an area he had never even been to in Rome. He says this in Romans chapter seven. He says, I do not understand what I do. I do not understand what I do. Now, some of you, that is like the most relatable verse in the Bible like you've ever read. There's this idea that I'm not a church person. I'm not a religious person. Well, if you're not a church or a Jesus or a religious person, first of all, you're in good company because a whole bunch of us that are a mess, everybody's welcome. Second of all, like you, Paul can relate to you. This is, this is like, we have a term in, in church called like a life verse. Like it's a thing everybody wants to grab a verse and make it their life verse. Most of you, I just gave you your life verse right here. Romans seven fifteen. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand what I do. Watch what he goes on and he says this. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Essentially, there's a lot of doo-doo in that. That's what, like it's a lot of do and don't do, doo-doo. Like, and really, that's what he's talking about. What he's saying is, what so many of us have experienced, how many of you, you have done something, you have said something, you reacted away, or you made a decision and immediately afterwards or the next morning, or you look in the mirror and you think, you idiot, why did you do that? Why did you go there with them? Why did you agree with them? Why did you sleep in? You idiot, why did you buy that? Why did you eat that? Why did you say that? Why did you call him? You knew he was no good. Why? Paul is addressing this. It's like, why don't I get what I want? Why do I keep doing these things that I know are not good? It's because of our human nature. There is something going on inside of us. Like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with me? And what Paul is talking about, and what's so important to understand about the, the essence of the human nature is there is a conflict 
There's this conflict going on inside of us between what we value, what we ultimately want, and our human nature. And listen, it is a big deal. It is a really big deal. And we don't just need more information. We don't just need more discipline and I'll be fine. It's bigger than that. Some of you, you hate yourself. You hate what yourself has done. You hate some decisions yourself has made. You hate some places yourself has been. And every time yourself did it, yourself was there. And here's the danger is that when I hate what I do, I'm not actually that far away from hating who I am and hating the person I see in the mirror. And Paul is talking to us about this. He goes on in Romans 7 at the end of verse 18. Watch this. He says, again, I think something we all can relate to. He says, I actually have the desire to do what is good. He's saying, I want to do the right thing. But then he goes on and he says, but I cannot carry it out. He's like, I want to do good, but I can't. Some of you are like, amen. Verse 19, he goes on and he says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't or that I don't want to do or that I dislike, I keep on doing. In fact, at the end of this whole rant, he's like, what a wretched man that I am. But you read this, and I believe that there's so much relatability to this. And by the way, this should make you feel really good. Some of you are like, well, pastor, how could this make me feel good? I don't do what I want to do. Well, here's what should make you feel good. The guy who is writing this about himself wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So if he experienced this and God still used it, maybe there's a chance for you to experience it and God still do something great in you. And so here's what we said last week. We said this that what we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately want or ultimately value or ultimately desire. It's our basic human nature. Again, at the core of our human nature, this is, this is what's in all of us. There's no refuting it. What's inside of all of us is cheating and lying and adultery and revenge and racism and hate and me first and rage. And some of you even are raged and hate that I even brought some of those stuff up. Why? It's in our human nature. It's in us. And here's what's true about everything I just said. All of those are a really good way to undermine your career, your future, your aspirations, and the person that you want to be. So as Christians, for those of us who believe the Bible is true, we believe that our actual human nature is broken. We believe there's something wrong with me. There is something wrong with you. And so we need to deal with this. And this is the conflict Paul's talking about when he writes the letter in Romans. And it's the same conflict that he's addressing in this chapter of Galatians chapter five. Why don't I do what I want to do? All of these types of things. And so in Galatians five, we started this, this last week, Galatians five, and he starts off in verse one. He's like, this whole thing is about freedom. And then he brings us back to that in 13. And I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And so Galatians 5, uh, verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We're going to start there every week because freedom is why Paul is writing. He's, it's what Jesus came to bring. Jesus wants you to be free. In fact, I would say it to you this way. Jesus came and Jesus offers himself to you so you can have freedom. Jesus came and offers himself freely for free so you can experience freedom. And he did all the work. Now, Paul is going to address this conflict, this inner conflict between what we ultimately value and what we immediately think we want in our broken human nature. And so he goes on in verse 16 of Galatians 5, and he says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. If you're online and you're joining us, type in Spirit right now, Spirit, S-P-I-R-I-T. Or as my friend in Ireland, who's a pastor, says, Spirt, he would always say, the Holy Spirit. Their accent is just way cooler than ours. But say spirit. He says, so I say, Paul's going to address two contrasting things. Walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now type in flesh, F-L-E-S-H, flesh. So he is talking about these two things, spirit 
and flesh. And he goes on and says this in verse 17. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. I love the way that the, the New Living Translation renders this. It, it, the language is just so clear. He says about the spirit and the flesh. He says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's what he says in verse 18, that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And so Paul's talking about two really important things that we're gonna talk about. He says, there's your spirit and there's your flesh. And so when you see that word flesh, that word flesh is, is literally just the Greek word sarks. It is your sinful nature. It just means there is a part of us that is, is broken, it's flawed. And, and I would say it this way, in the context of our conversation, our flesh is what we think we want. It's that human nature that like, give it to me now. So Paul's saying you have that going on, but he's also saying, if you believe Jesus, if you accepted him in your life, you have God's spirit. And so he's saying that's the opposite of flesh. And your flesh is literally just, he says, living or walking in the spirit is, is living God's way. That's what spirit is, living God's way. We're gonna talk a whole lot more about that week four, because Paul's gonna say more about that. But this week, we're going to look at the contrast. The next two weeks, we're going to contrast these two things. And so if, if the flesh is what we think we want, the spirit is what we actually want. This is our perfect nature, the spirit of God in us. Our flesh is our broken human nature. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And that's what Paul is going to say. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of this message on, is he says, when you follow your flesh, when you follow those desires, you, I can predict, and it is obvious, what the outcome of your life will be. And it will undermine who you think you want to be, who you're called to be, who God created you to be. And so he's going to lay it out here. And he says, here's the not good life. If you're titling this message, this is the not good life. Paul is saying, this is not going to work out well for you. This will not lead anywhere well. And in chapter five, he starts in verse 19. So he says, let me tell you about the flesh. Let me tell you about the not good life. He says, so the acts of the flesh are obvious. And so he's going to list off 15 things. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, that's a pretty intense list. And he's saying, he's lovingly warning people he loves. He's saying, I warn you as I did before. So he's already told them this once, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul sets up this whole chapter. In verse one, he's like, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. In verse 13, he's reminding them that you were called to be free. And then in verse 19, he goes in on, let me tell you what not free is. And so he says, this is the sinful nature. And, and for the rest of this, I want to kind of bring this to life and talk about this not free life, because there's this great quote by Pascal that it kind of inspired a lot of this series. And Pascal said this, he says, and it, it's kind of a summation, but he says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. He says, it can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. So what Pascal is essentially saying right here is that every single one of us are made with a hole in our heart that we will probably try to fill with all kinds of things, but it can never be filled with anything other than God. And so Paul is addressing the same thing that Pascal is saying. He's like, you have this hole in your heart. It feels like something is missing. 
We don't know what it is, but we're gonna continue to try to fill our heart. And some of you, this is the story of your life. You have tried to fill your heart with everything that this world has to offer. And it continues to feel like this. Some of you, if I could give you a picture of what your heart feels like right now, this would be it. And so Paul, we're gonna have a little fun with this. Paul is addressing some things that he's saying, let me guard you from things that will never fill your heart. And he gives a list. And so I wanna go through these really briefly, but I want to bring each one to the light because I think some of you, God loves you enough. He wants to realign and he's like, hey, stop trying to fill your heart with this. And, and in order for you to do that, you're gonna have to see and acknowledge that where you're at and what's going on. And so Paul is gonna say, here are the things that will never satisfy. These are the things that will undermine your future. And so the first one he says is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. We have a nice little piece of lingerie here. Some of us, our lives have been consumed with sex and, and pornography. The, the, in fact, the, uh, the, the Greek word is, porn, uh, is pornea and it's sex outside of marriage. And it's just simply any sex is meant to be, to be intimate. It's meant to be sacred. And it's meant to be shared only in the confines of a marriage between a, a man and a woman. And any time you do that, that is not going to fill the heart. It doesn't, it doesn't fill it up. It's not, it doesn't, it's never, it's never going to satisfy and it just consumes it. And some of us, like this is, we're just constantly trying to fill it. And yeah, we may think we want it in the moment, but it doesn't satisfy. It's the idea of the reason God set up this way is he wants me to give all of myself and my wife to give all of herself and it to be sacred and intimate. And the more you share parts of yourself with other people, it's neither sacred nor intimate. In fact, it was Pamela Anderson, the, the former Playboy model who recently came out with an article that said pornography is ruining intimacy and in marriages and families in America. This is somebody who used to delve into this, sexual morality. He says, let me tell you another act of the sinfulness. Let me tell you something else that won't satisfy the not good life, impurity. Again, impurity is just sexual sins. It's evil. Uh, it's, it's, it's evil deeds. It's vices. It's evil thoughts, desires of the heart. Just really impure those dark places. The third one he mentions is debauchery. Again, it's not a word that many of us use, although if you watch Mother's Day, my mom used it to describe her former life before Jesus. Some of us thought it was quite comical. But debauchery is just this sensuality. It's literally following your passions and desires to the point of literally having no shame or public decency. It's having no control over a thing. It's like, I have to have more, seeking out an, a, a moment, seeking an experience, a euphoria. It's literally like that thing you can't say no to and it just sucks you in. And that thing just owns you. Paul says, that's never gonna fill that heart. The next one he says is idolatry. Now this is a big one, idolatry. Idolatry in and of itself is worship of spirits or persons, but really what idolatry is, is trust in any person or institution or a thing having equal or greater authority than God and his word. This is putting your hope, putting your trust, putting your passion. And so many of us, we try to stuff our hearts. With, it's so easy for things to become idols. Sports and entertainment can become an idol, but the problem is it doesn't fill the heart. Maybe, maybe sports aren't your thing, but maybe uh, movies and DVDs are your thing. And I used to have one in here, but I don't know where it's at. But some of us, there's another idol that I see consuming the church of America. And it's the idol of politics. Now, some of you are you're like, oh, he's for the Republicans. No, no, I got them both. Can I lovingly tell you that I am concerned at how much this has become an idol in our culture. We have put more trust. We have put more hope. We have put more energy 
in a government institution providing than God. The church is meant to be more of an answer than the government in so many ways. And we put so much stock in this. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Yes, go out and vote. Pray for your leaders. Let's have good politicians. But some of us, if we would look in the mirror, we are consumed with this. And it just, it almost, it almost feels like it fits and we get fired up. But look, it's a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't matter what side I'm on. I believe that some of us, politics, they matter, but they have become an idol to us. We obsess about it. We put our trust in it. Idolatry, witchcraft. Now, witchcraft probably doesn't hit a lot of us, but I will say that witchcraft obviously is spiritism and sorcery, but at its core, do you know what witchcraft and sorcery are? It's meant to literally just control people. A modern day version of witchcraft and sorcery is literally manipulation and control. That will never be fulfilling. It'll never be the good life. Hatred, just intense, hostile intentions, extreme dislike, enmity. And some of you, as soon as I pulled those boxes out, you felt it, whether it was this one or that one. How could they? That's not of God. That is not the good life. These, Paul's saying these are the acts of the sinful nature. These should be obvious. This should be obvious that this is contradicts who you want to be, what you really want, what you ultimately value. Number seven, Discord. Discord, this is important. Discord is, is, is bickering and quarreling and antagonizing. And, and it's this struggle for who's right and superiority. In other words, this has become the vehicle for more discord than I have ever seen in America. It's literally where we go to scream and yell and quarrel and be right and, be, and look for superiority. It ought not be. If some of us were just as passionate about our relationship with Jesus and promoting Jesus as we were about our political party or our opinion on this, maybe the world would have a little bit more hope. And guess what? It doesn't work. The next one Paul mentions, the eighth one is jealousy. This is just envy of another success, resentfulness. It's this comparison trap, me versus her, me versus him. Is this not one of the more ugly things in our, in our planet? I mean, I've experienced this. I'm embarrassed to say this, but, but maybe you have too. Like you get bad news about somebody you really like and without even thinking about it, you're like, oh yes, I'm not alone. Envy, jealousy. We're talking about jealousy. You see this, you can't go to a grocery store without seeing a star magazine and the life of the bold and the beautiful and the rich and the famous and their houses and their pretty dresses and their makeup and their, and we kind of want to consume ourselves with that. And we spend all of our time comparing it's a distraction. Or I would say it this way. If Facebook is where people go to argue, then Instagram is where people go to compare. Envy. So we compare our lives to the prettiest and the most beautiful vacations and everywhere else. And again, there's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with Instagram, but it can be the vehicle to envy and discord and jealousy. And that ought not be. And it's interesting to me that Paul puts number nine, the next one here is the fits of rage. Because I think that jealousy and envy and all these things start to, it's just where that, where, uh, in fact, it's interesting, the, the, uh, the Greek word here is thumos. Like that just sounds like an explosive word, like Rah! It's explosive anger that just is violent in words. It's blowing up when everything underneath just comes out. Or selfish ambition. I was going to have a stack of money, but I'm out. <laughs> but imagine this. There's no amount of money that's going to fill this hole. It's never enough. Money's never going to fill that God-shaped vacuum-sized hole in our heart. 
Selfish, this idea of seeking more power, position, more, more selfish ambition. It's up the ladder. It's up the tip pole. It's up. It's, it's more of that. And again, there's nothing wrong with rising in your company. There's nothing wrong with financial blessing. I actually would say God has those for you. But when it becomes your focus, it totally consumes you and it sucks into that vacuum and it's never enough. Number 11, dissensions. It's division, divisive teachings, not supported by God's word. Again, I think I can use this one again. Dissension. Why well, disagree? And we and this and all that. Christians, we have to do better. Facebook, you made it twice. Envy. Envy is similar to jealousy. Envy is just resentful dislike of another person who has something that you want or that you desire. That's 13. I skipped, I skipped one. Factions. I see this. I see this. This is terrible. All right. I've mentioned divisions. There's so much division. And we have this culture that's saying, pick a side. If you're not for me, you're against me. If I say that I, read, I love red, that means I hate green. No, let's stop. And it usually leads to gossip and grouping together and clicks, and it destroys unity of the church. I mentioned envy, petty disagreements, weirdness in relationships. I don't even know how I got here. And the 14th one, he says drunkenness. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. But it does say drunkenness is a sin. And most of us, one isn't going to do it. But some of us, we drink just to, to forget. Some of us, we drink so that we can just try to find some sort of peace or, or a good time. And there's no amount that's going to fill that hole. And we're out. And we need more. We might forget for a moment. But Paul's saying these acts are sinful nature. They're, 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 they're obvious. He's saying it's like you're, it's, it's impairing your mental and physical control by alcohol. And then 15 is orgies. And I know probably you think orgies, but the Greek word, Greek word komos actually means excessive feasting and revelry. It's literally this party spirit that involves like all kinds of drugs and sex and alcohol. It's like it's literally like going for the ultimate here and now experience. And this, all of these things, Paul is saying it's never going to be enough. Which of these things has you from living the good life? Which of these are keeping you from experiencing what God has for you? This is in all of us. These are the things that are going to keep us from what we ultimately want. But this is a battle that you can win. I love what James says in James chapter one. Watch this in verse 14. He says, uh, he's, uh, I don't know if I have it on the screen. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown is death. That's James chapter one, verse 14 and 15. I love that picture. He says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. That means there's this conflict and this is a battle that we can win. There's this desire, like I, I, I'm dragged away by my evil desire, but I don't want to do it. This is the person who's trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good person. It's the battle that we all face and we all struggle with. And we said it last week, sin ultimately leads to death. It kills stuff. Sin ultimately undermines who we actually want to be, what we ultimately value. What's dragging you away? What's just pulling on you? What seems to be the battle that you can't win? Well, James has this great, like imploring, you can almost hear in the language, chapter uh, one, again, verse 16, he says this. This is, this is right after what I just read. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It says, Paul said earlier on in Galatians, he says, who cut in on you? Who convinced you there was a better way? 
Don't listen to the world, the culture, the system. There's going to be all kinds of advertisement that this is what you need. But there is a God-sized, vacuum-sized hole in your heart that only can be filled by God. And the more you try to fill it with other things, the more empty you're going to be. You live in a city, you go to a college or a school, you go to a job, you have friends who aren't doing this. They're not living this. They're not going to tell you this. And again, as a leader, as a pastor, there's few things that bother me more than people who make decisions that undermine and compromise the future that they want. There's so much stuff in this world that we're not in control of. Why would we undermine our own future with the few things that we are in control of? And so James is saying, don't be dragged away by your evil desires. Don't. How? And Paul's going to go on. He's going to say, walk in the spirit. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But it starts with the opposite of this. What's the opposite of this? Next week, we're going to talk about what does fill this. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus. I know we say it almost every weekend because we can't overemphasize enough the importance of a relationship with Jesus. He is the only one that will fill this heart. He's the only one that can lead you to the good life. And he, I believe, and you'll find this out in the next couple of weeks if you go with us, that what you want and what God wants for you are probably a lot closer together than you maybe thought. Following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. And so if any of these things are you, there's no condemnation. Jesus just wants to come and sit in that place and give you the power to say no, to not get dragged away. Jesus will point you past the immediate and towards the ultimate. He will get you past the here and now towards what really matters. I love what Andy Stanley says about this idea of Christianity. He says, Christianity is God the Father stepping into human history to point us to something beyond our broken intuition and our misguided inclination. Is there heaven to gain? Yes. Is there eternity? Yes. But there's also a better life for you here. Now there's a good life that Jesus has for you. And we asked the question last week, not does God want from me, but what does God want for you? He wants freedom. We're going to talk what freedom looks like next week. But this week we're talking about what slavery and bondage and not good and not free looks like. And we have to resist being dragged away. And it's not just more information. It's not trying hard. It's not more discipline. It's inviting a person into your life. And it's not just saying a prayer, but it is a ongoing relationship where every day you say, Jesus, I need more of you. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to not desire to fulfill the desires of my flesh. Help me to walk in the spirit. I can't do it by myself. I can only do it if Jesus sits in this spot right now. And you'll see next week how that works out. And so we would say it to you this way as we close. Freedom, what this whole letter is about, is not the absence of something, but it's the presence of someone. It's not, it's not avoiding and being dry. It's the presence of Jesus in your life. Are you experiencing him? Are you walking with him? Are you deepening your relationship with him? I'm talking about more than just going to church. I'm talking about more than even maybe one verse a day. That's a great place to start, but really digging into his word and letting him transform who you are. We're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm really excited about where we're going. But this week, I'm going to ask the same question that we have at the beginning and end of the first two weeks. What do you want? What do you really want? What is most important to you? Are you being dragged away by what you immediately want? Jesus wants to come in, forgive you, heal you, and give you the power to say no to that. Some of you have been following Jesus a long time. You're still getting dragged away. Your journey's not over. He has freedom for you. It is for freedom that he came to set you free. So a couple questions as we close. What do you want? Number one, what do you really want? Do you want this? Do you want God to fill that hole that only he can? Second question, what keeps dragging you away? Is there something that just keeps pulling you away? Ask God to come break that chain, that, that, that bondage. He wants freedom for you. 
Number three, how long, here's a great question, how long do I plan to let what I naturally or I immediately want continue to drag me away from who I ultimately want to be or what I ultimately desire? We're gonna go in a little bit more on this on the bonus content, but I would just love to pray for you and I would encourage you to dive in. Don't wait till next week to hear from this. Read this chapter, pray about it, meditate on it, And I believe Jesus has freedom for you if you invite him into that place. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every single one of my friends online. Whether it's right here now in live or it's later on in the future, you know every ear and every heart and every life that's gonna listen to this. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. God, I pray, I, I pray that, that the reality and the truth of the situation has been elevated. And I thank you, God, that your word says that your truth will set us free. And so I pray for freedom right now. God, that you would teach us how to walk in your spirit, that you would give us the desire to, to, to be so connected to you, God, that your power, that Jesus came, that you would set us free, that we wouldn't be dragged away so easily enticed and that we would be able to really walk in freedom. God, I thank you for every person every family represented living, would you watch over them, bless them, keep them, protect them, and help them to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.